the Oscar goes and to. And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to. Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Oh, really? Love is too weak a word. If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV. It's and validator. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie. Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. It's time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 24 of the next Best Picture Podcast. Joining me for this episode, I have Michael Schwartz. Hello, everybody. And we have a guest with us here on the show. We have Eric joining us. Eric, how's it going? Hello. Good, how are you? Oh, we're pretty good this morning. We're all very, very good, I would say. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I didn't get much sleep last night after the DGA and ASC announced their winners uh, late into the evening. I think they ended around like 2 o'clock in the morning. And so that's where our conversation is really going to be predominantly today. We're going to be talking about the DGA, the ASC, the Annie Awards. And Eric, you had the privilege of going to Sundance this year. Year five, yeah, yeah. So we were good. we'd love to get a chance to talk to you about your experience there, the films you saw, what you think may be an Oscar contender uh, for next year's uh, season. Um, I'm really, really excited to be talking about this with you. But first, a word from our sponsor. No, I'm totally kidding. Uh, let's just segue, <laughs> first of all, into the Annie Awards. Uh, Zootopia picked up the main prize along with, I believe, six others in total. Uh, Kubo and the Two String uh, won technical awards. I think the Red Turtle actually won uh, something here and there as well. But this is really all about Zootopia. So now, after winning big with the Annie Awards, with the Critics' Choice, the Golden Globe, the PGA, do we at all foresee an upset? Or is this just Zootopia all the way here? Zootopia, without a doubt. There's really never been a doubt in my mind, and this just confirmed it. Yeah, I, I'm. I I definitely hear you on this. I remember also thinking to myself that if Zootopia had been released last year, because um, I remember seeing it in February and thinking to myself, why did they push this off to now? Why couldn't they release this? Like, ugh, I was so so frustrated. I wondered to myself if it could have competed with Inside Out. Oh, I think Inside Out still would have taken it. I mean, that's like. Beloved, and that went into screenplay too. They're mm-hmm. both acclaimed movies, but Inside Out was on a different level, I think. Yeah, I mean, I guess it just talks to my fear that with the film being released in February, I was definitely very afraid that it would not contend or people would remember it come the end of year. I thought Moana would pretty much just take all the steam away from it. But Well, it was a huge hit, and it had the Netflix streaming going for it and just social relevance that was the talk of the entire year. So, yeah, it really carried itself through. Yeah, that's definitely been the key to everything, has been its social relevance and how it's played into people's psyche, essentially, throughout the whole year. It's never really gone away, so I I think that it's meant to win this year. Uh, had it come out in another year, I don't think it necessarily would have won, but I think there is a symmetry to the fact that it was released this year, so... Good for them. I'm, I'm really happy for the team over there at Disney, and I think that this is one of their 
best works that they've ever put out. It's certainly their best work in the last couple of years. Um, as, and, you know, I, I totally take Pixar out of the equation in that matter, so. Hey everyone, I'm Jason. And I'm Lee. And we are the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. We look to take a magnifying glass to the films you love with a warm atmosphere and a good laugh, new releases, retrospectives, and absolute classics all reassessed and reviewed. Check out the ASC Podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes, or keep in the loop on Twitter by following me at film underscore faculty, or Lee at Big Pick Reviews. That counts as a promo, right? Right. All right, cool. All right, well, I guess we'll cut here. See you later. <laughs> Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. Alrighty, what else do we have going on this week? Uh, we had the ASC, which this was... This was something else. <laughs> I did not see this coming. I don't think anybody saw this coming. I didn't predict it for the win, but I knew that it was really beloved cinematography in Lion. Mm-hmm. So Lion wins the ASC this year over uh, presumed favorite La La Land. Uh, James Laxton was nominated for Moonlight. Rodrigo Prieto was nominated for Silence. And Bradford Young was nominated for Arrival. Uh, Eric, what do you make of Lion upsetting La La Land here? And could it play into this year's Oscars at all? Uh, absolutely. I, th- I think Greg Frazier is just really, really, really liked by the industry and cinematographers. So that really helped. And also just the way the first 45 minutes are essentially no dialogue with just his photography and you completely get the story and everything. It's just beautiful work, I thought. So it could feed into some love for that film. Yeah, I mean... I hear you in regards to the first 45 minutes and how it is very showy and it relies on his visuals to convey that story. I just personally felt that there were films that were more aesthetically pleasing to the eye this year that I wasn't even ready to predict Lion for the Oscar when I was doing my uh, Oscar predictions. I I just – I wanted Greg Frazier to get a nomination. He's definitely overdue for one, but – I didn't think this was his best work by any means, and I'm not even sure if it deserved to win here over uh, the other four nominees, which it was up against. No, I I agree with that. But also, um, I just think the way that, especially in the later half, when he's talking about the smell of the food and everything, and you feel, I don't know, I feel like it's shot in a way that you kind of yourself remember the smell of the food, even if you don't. Mm. So I can see absolutely why it won. Yeah. Okay, well, that's very interesting. And like you said, he is very well-liked amongst the industry, and this is the industry that is voting here. I personally do not think it plays into Oscar. I still think La La Land takes uh, the cinematography Oscar. Uh, Michael, do you agree? Absolutely, but if there's an alternative, maybe this is it, instead of a rival like we had all thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's, very, that's very, very interesting. And i tell you right now, um, if it were to win the Oscar over these other films i personally I, I i wouldn't be too happy honestly i really wouldn't you know you know me i get caught up on who wins and who doesn't i know for you michael it's not so much about that eric what about you do you really care about who wins and who doesn't a lot of times uh not particularly but there are some awards that i get way too into yeah <laughs> i hear you on that so for example the dga awards were held last night and we all knew it was a foregone conclusion we all knew that it couldn't be anyone else damien giselle won uh for directing a feature film for la la land uh other awards went to uh, garth davis uh first time feature film for lion and documentary film went to ezra edelman for oj made in america now there are two things i want to point out about this 
one in regards to documentary film uh, documentary feature at the Oscars. Is anybody at this point anybody doubting OJ anymore at all? I have a little bit of doubt. I mean, it's still my number one, but there's always at risk of having a seven-hour documentary in there. But it's the entire Academy that's voting on the winner here. I wonder if because it's been in the spotlight all season, winning various critics groups awards, uh, even some editing uh, mentions here and there, won a PGA, I think, right? It did win, it did win a PGA, didn't it? Yeah, I'm pretty I sure. So. Yeah, and it also wins now here. It's just been a part of the conversation so much that I'm starting to just say to myself, if I'm a typical Academy member and I maybe haven't seen any documentaries all year, what's the one that everybody's talking about? Well, also there's I Am Not Your Negro. Which just opened, actually. Right, and it, talk about relevance. That also deals with race in a way that might be bigger than OJ. So, I mean, I wouldn't totally discount that one. Well, could it split the vote and allow for something else to win ultimately? And I'm, I'm, I'm not thinking it would be 13th, but maybe one of the other two. Yeah, I mean, if you take, uh, I mean, I hate to say it, but if you take the three race films and sort of cancel them all out, then you're left with what? Life Animated or Fire at Sea, a film about refugees? I mean, that's the one I'm watching out for, actually. I mean, this race, it seems like there's a front runner, but there could be a surprise. Really, any one of these, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, Fire Fire at Sea screams to me the film that in the last minute could pick up enough steam to upset the frontrunner. I would not be surprised if, looking at it now, if Fire at Sea won in documentary, just in terms of the relevance with refugees and all of that, and then over in a foreign feature, The Salesman won. Yeah. Because I don't think we could discount that. I think that's really a big player now. I definitely agree with that. I actually just changed my predictions uh, last night. I moved away from uh, Land of Mine. I don't know why I was predicting that, but for one week I was. <laughs> and I moved over to The Salesman simply because I don't think that people are going to understand slash get Tony Erdman. I think they're going to question why uh, this dry comedy film needed to be uh, nearly three hours long, essentially. And it really only hits you in the gut in its uh, last couple of minutes, both uh, with laugh, uh, laughs and also with uh, drama. So I don't know if viewers are going to have the patience for that. But on the flip side, I keep saying to myself, if they don't have the patience for that, why would they have patience for a seven-hour documentary? <laughs> they might not watch the documentary. They'll see the OJ name and maybe check it off. Mm-hmm. There's a case to be made for a lot of things here. Yeah. Uh, Eric, what do you have predicted in documentary and also in a uh, foreign film right now? Um, OJ and Tony Erdman, just because Tony Erdman was such like a dominant critical thing. That's really all you heard about from Cannes, it feels like, half the time. Do you uh, believe the hype that's surrounding the salesman now after uh, Oshkosh for Hardy is now um, – well, he's been ban- he was banned from attending the Oscars due to uh, President Trump's uh, Muslim ban. But even if he's allowed now, he's saying that he won't go at this point. Um, absolutely. I think that, again, I think that's f- big potential for an upset and he won a few years ago, so that may help, but it, I don't know. I feel like it's one of those races that I'm always like, I have no clue what's going on with foreign film. Yeah, it, it, it's tough. It is tough. Um, the ultimate question on my mind and something I love, uh, kind of pondering about in regards to this season though, is I keep saying to myself over and over, if L were nominated, would we be talking about that as the front runner? Oh, I don't think so. I mean, Isabelle Luper is fantastic in it, but the film itself, 
isn't really anything to write home about. It won Critics' Choice, it won uh, BFCA, and it won a lot of the Critics' Prizes on top of that. I know, and it won the Golden Globe, too, but I think part of that just might be a way of honoring Uper. Mm-hmm. I mean, let, let's all be real here. If The Handmaiden were nominated, that would be the winner. <laughs> that would... I, I still cannot believe that that film did not get submitted. Uh, Eric, have you seen it? <laughs> oh, I loved that movie. Oh, it was amazing. I, I truly, truly was so sucked into how just erotic and sexy and dangerous it was. I, I Oh, my God. And it's twisting narrative. Oh, my Lord. And it fun. Amazing. It was such a fun movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really, truly was. I can't wait to watch it again. And now it's on uh, Amazon Video, uh, so I'm definitely going to be watching it again soon. I thought it was on Amazon Prime, so I was getting all ready to turn it on streaming last night, but you have to rent it, so mm. I'm going to do that later in the week. Yeah, yeah. And I could actually sit and watch it. Absolutely. All righty. Now, the question I'm going to be asking every single week in the lead up to the Oscars, and this has been the fun question that I think will change on a weekly basis, at least uh, – that is my interpretation of things right now. It seems like once the nominations for the Oscars came out, it was pretty obvious that La La Land was the dominant force. It has established itself as the dominant force, winning the Golden Globes, all of them, all seven, setting a new record. Uh, eight Critics' Choice Awards, including Best Picture and Best Director. Uh, it's now won the PGA. It's also won the DGA. Emma Stone won the SAG. So now the question which I will be asking every week is this. How many Oscars are you now predicting La La Land to win? I'm predicting 11. I am predicting 10. So you don't think it gets sound editing? No, of course not. Sound editing is also not the one that I uh, see it actually losing in contention. I actually think it, I, I, I recently switched my pick in over in a uh, screenplay. I went back to Kenneth Lonergan. Because if Denzel Washington is going to win Best Actor, I just cannot see a scenario where they allow Manchester by the Sea to go home empty-handed. I just can't. I just can't. Well, I have a Manchester winning screenplay. Yeah, but you, but you also have it winning sound editing. I don't. Wait, so Eric, what did you say it was going to be? Um, I think it's going to be ten. And uh, wh- which ones do you have it losing? Gosling, uh, Gosling, one of the songs. screenplays, one of the songs in sound editing. Yeah, that's exactly what I have, too. I have it winning costumes. I have it winning production design. Although I am kind of also teetering along with some other choices because I'm also, uh, once again, I'm, I'm kind of doing this game right now where I keep saying to myself, they're not going to let Arrival go home empty-handed. They're not going to let Manchester by the Sea go home empty-handed. And if they did, this would be, since the preferential ballot, the uh, record highest uh, year where... Um, the most films that were nominated for Best Picture uh, did not go home with Oscars. I think the only films that would take Oscars would be Moonlight, Fences, uh, La La Land, and Hacksaw Ridge if you have it winning sound editing. So five films would go home empty-handed, essentially. And if you take away that sound editing, then six... Like, that's, that's crazy, and that has not happened. Traditionally, four films nominated for Best Picture of the 9, 10, 8, whatever it is, four films usually go home with nothing. So that's pretty easy, I think. I think it's Hell or High Water. I don't think goes home with anything. I don't think Lion goes home with anything. So that's two down. And then what do we, what do we have left at that point? We know, like I said, we know Moonlight, we know Fences, we know La La Land. Arrival. Yeah, so so it comes down to Arrival in Manchester by the Sea. 
And the question is, you know, I could see one of them going home empty handed, but I'd rather just place my bets and assume that each one of them picks up at least one win somewhere. And so what I did was I switched screenplay up and I decided that they might want to reward Kenneth Lonergan for Manchester by the Sea. So it'll give him a win there. Casey Affleck loses Best Actor and that's Manchester by the Sea's win. That's taken care of. And then for Arrival, this one I'm much, much unsure of, but stats are kind of also backing me up, which is weird. And that is, I have a Arrival now winning adapted screenplay over Moonlight. I think that Moonlight is this year's boyhood where they recognize it with a supporting actor win, and that's their way to reward the film, and that's it. Oh, that's actually a really good comparison. You know, and think about this, too. Arrival is going to win the WGA because Moonlight's not nominated in that category. It's going to probably win the BAFTA unless if they go gaga for uh, Tom Ford. I was surprised when Arrival won the Critics' Choice Award for Best Adapted Screenplay. I was surprised when it won other critics' groups. But there is no denying that the structure of that film is so well put together. So well put together. It is, but... I don't know that it's number two. I would actually argue that uh, Behind Moonlight is Hidden Figures. Oh, because of the SAG win? Not just because of the SAG, but it's like really hit its stride at the right time. And I think if the nominations had been announced a little bit later, like after the SAG win, someone like Taraji P. Henson would have been nominated maybe. And I think there's a lot of love to go around for that film. And if they don't want it to go home empty-handed, this is the place to give it something. That is one of the Best Picture uh, nominees, which I do think will go home empty-handed. But Eric, what do you make of that? What do you also have predicted for adapted screenplay? Uh, Moonlight, just because everyone loves Barry Jenkins and it's a good way to reward him. That's a good point. That is a good point. But also, with the La La Land sweep, it's kind of hard because with preferential ballot, will everybody put it at number one instead of saying, oh, I wish this film got some love somewhere? And started putting it. So I feel like things could still upset La La Land and below the line categories, kind of like with uh, 2012 with Ben Affleck not getting nominated. Mm-hmm. Because everybody just assumed, so they probably put him lower, but everybody could do the same thing with a lot of, like with costumes. They could be like, oh, I would love to see Jackie win something, and that could still upset. I have, for the time being, uh, switched around my predictions there, and I do have Jackie back in uh, to win costumes now. You think Jackie's winning? I'll probably switch it back to La La Land, in all honesty. I probably will. But I have Jackie there, and I say that because I I didn't expect it to win BFCA. Um, I'm waiting to see what happens at BAFTA because there are some stat correlations between what wins at BFCA, what wins at BAFTA, and what wins the Oscars. I'm going to go into a whole stats thing uh, once BAFTA is over, so that this way I can compare Golden Globe, BFCA, BAFTA, and kind of just take it all from there, essentially. Um, and I'm going to do that category by category. I mean, it worked out very well for me last year in regards to a lot of my picks. I I think the only one I ended up like getting wrong was I didn't get visual effects right because, I mean, who saw Ex Machina coming, like, for real? <laughs> um, and I also... I think I got one tech category wrong for um, The Revenant, and it was um, – I'm almost positive. Yeah, I predicted a split in sound. I predicted uh, uh, Revenant would win sound mixing and uh, Mad Max would win sound editing. That was my that was my issue there. But otherwise, though, I got everything else right pretty much. So we'll see. We'll see what happens there. 
but I'm predicting 10. Michael, you're predicting 11. Eric, you're predicting 10. Yep. Either way, it's it's a done deal. Um, I'm not even entertaining the idea anymore that Moonlight could possibly upset in picture. However, I do start to wonder that if the film wins Mahershala Ali and it wins adapted screenplay, I am kind of going to be a little nervous when the Best Picture envelope gets opened. Because does anybody else think that there would be kind of like a groundswell at that point to possibly maybe you would think Moonlight might win it? No, I don't. <laughs> I don't think Moonlight's a film that's going to perform on a preferential ballot. I mean, it really works for, I guess, certain bubbles of like film enthusiasts or Twitter or whatever you want to do. I mean, it's a film that connects with people. But when you go to the Academy, you have to remember, not everybody is of the same mindset. You still have these 90-year-old people who aren't exactly going to be embracing Moonlight in the same way. Yeah, I, I, I do somewhat agree with you. I am going to also still argue that 12 Years a Slave did not win its SAG. It did win only the Golden Globe for Best Drama. I understand that it did win PGA, but that was in a tie. And it didn't win DGA. You know, heading into the night, you were smart if you predicted that Gravity was going to win Best Picture. You truly, truly were. And Moonlight, I'm sorry, not Moonlight, 12 Years a Slave ended up winning a screenplay, an acting award, and it also ended up winning Best Picture. So the correlation is still there to a certain degree. No? No? I'm, am, I just, <laughs> am I just talking out of my ass? I think we're just trying to come up with theories when it's all set. <laughs> I also think 12 years had the like a prestige part about it. It was based off of a book. It was it just it was a period piece which helped I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, that that that's it then. I I mean, listen. <laughs> I probably will keep bringing it up a little bit here and there uh in the lead up to February 26, but no, for the most part, I mean, nothing's beating La La Land a picture and director. This is like a Titanic year in my opinion where it's all about this film heading into the ceremony. During the ceremony, it's going to be all about this film. It's just, there is no quote-unquote race. There really isn't. And you're right, I am just trying to come up with theories here to make things somewhat exciting. Hey guys, this is JD from the Incession Film Podcast. Every week on our show, you can join my co-host Brendan and I as we review the latest films that's out in theaters. It also inspires us to discuss a top three list of some sort, and we have a lot of other fun movie discussions as well. It's always a blast. And we also have a show on Fridays called our Extra Film Podcast. This is a show that gives us the space to talk about the latest indies and art films and other classics that we normally just don't get to talk about on our main show. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, Player FM, and more. In fact, you can just see everything about us, including our social medias at IncessionFilm.com. So join us every week. We'd absolutely love to have you. So let's get off of this year's race. Let's move over to next year's race, possibly. Eric, you were at Sundance this year. I have a couple of titles I would like to ask you about to get your uh, thoughts on the film. Uh, Who do you think may have uh, some sort of Oscar potential for next year? And I want to start off with actually the U.S. Grand Jury Prize film winner, uh, directed by Macon Blair, starring Melanie Lindsay, Elijah Wood, David Yao, Jane Levy, and Devin Gray. And it's called I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. Yes. 
Um, hilarious, wonderful, bizarre, Coen Brothers-esque violent film. It's wonderful. Okay, so that's very interesting. That Was it a surprise that this won the uh, Grand Jury Award? Um, yes and no, but if, it was a weird year because every year I've been there, there's been the Audience Award and Grand Jury Award have shared, but this year there was no real consensus or enthusiasm for either film. And so it just, it was a wonderful surprise, but I really had no idea what could have taken it. And from what I understand, I, I think that film's going to be on Netflix soon as well. Um, I think they picked it up. February 28th or something like that. Wow. Right, okay, that's really cool. Uh, so that'll be one to look out for as far as, I guess, sheer entertainment goes. Not an Oscar player, right? No, no, that would be incredible, but I doubt that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, while we mention Oscar players in terms of Sundance, what was anything that you think would stick out? Call Me By Your Name, Mudbound, and The Big Sick probably seem like the most potential things. So Call Me By Your Name, I think, has been the breakout uh, when it comes to this year's Sundance. I mean, the Twitter response I saw after, after that film screened reminded me of how people felt about Birth of a Nation, uh, the year before, where it was just like, wow, people are like really, really getting excited about this. What is it about this film? Is it like a combination of many different things in terms of writing, acting, the way it's shot, social relevance? Like, what is it that's got people going head over heels in love for this movie? Um, it's just a really, really perfect, beautiful, empathetic, sexy, passionate film. And it just feels so... It feels so lived in and natural, but it also feels like it's in a higher plane of what's going on. I don't know. It's hard to describe. <laughs> I was high on it for the week after I saw it. The question I have regarding it is, is it something that is going to appeal to more mainstream to a certain degree? Or is this something that you could see on the success level of something like Moonlight, let's just say? Um, I could see it being more successful because a lot of this stuff happens off screen. Um, and also there's a, this is going to sound weird, but there's a monologue at the end by Michael Stuhlberg that is just absolutely beautiful. And I don't see how people could watch that film and not be absolutely devastated within the last 10 minutes because of the monologue and the last, and its final shot is also breathtaking. So I think that it could break out more just because of that last 10 minutes. No. Let's say with Sony Pictures Classics, they release this in July. Because mm -hmm. it seems like it would be a summer movie. So do something at Cannes and then come out in, like, middle of July. Yeah. Do you think it would have the power to sustain through the rest of the season? Yes. I think it could become, like, the critical favorite of the year. It's just... I just think a lot of people will be very, very, very affected by it. Okay, so we're talking, like, best picture, uh, best actor for Timothy Chalamet. Uh, Adapted screenplay, Michael Stuhlberg. Hopefully Army Hammer is wonderful in it. Uh, Let's, let me ask about that. Uh, who really is the true standout? Like, let's assume that you could only nominate one for best supporting actor. Who gets in, Stuhlberg or Hammer? Uh, um... I would give it to Stuhlberg just because of, again, this monologue he has at the end, which is just the most, some of the best stuff he's done. It's just beautiful. So is it like a Viola Davis in Doubt type of scene? No, it's much more gentle than that. It's just pure love and empathy for his kid. It's incredible. Mm. It, it, could it be considered maybe too subdued uh, for award season, possibly, in that, in that regard then? Uh, like they may look at it as not so much a quote-unquote 
performance as much as uh, you know he's very very good in it essentially. Um, maybe, but it also never felt too subtle. It really did find that line of subtlety and kind of like and pure emotional and just pure emotional punch. You know, uh, the, the director of this film. Uh, Luca Guadagino, uh, Guadagnino, yeah, Guadagnino. I'm not gonna get it. I'm not gonna get it right. But <laughs> you know, where would you rank it against a bigger splash? Is it better than that? Would you say? Oh yeah, I I liked a bigger splash, but I love this movie. It's my favorite thing, honestly, that I've seen in like four or five years. Holy crap! Okay, oh, wow. All right then. Well, you know what? Sony Pictures Classic. Maybe they'll do a little uh, campaign for this. Send every Academy member a basket of peaches. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've been hearing a lot about this Peach thing. I don't want anybody to spoil anything from me, but I've been hearing that get tossed around in regards to this movie, and it's got my curiosity up way, way high. So um, I'll leave it at that, and we'll see where this all goes. Um, you talked about the the big sick. Mm-hmm. Michael Showalter directed film, uh, Kumail uh, Nanjiani, uh, Zoe Kazan, Ray Romano, Holly Hunter. Good cast, Judd Apatow production. I've heard that it's a little overlong, like many of his other films are. Um, a little bit, but also, I, I don't know. I never felt its length, but afterwards I was like, wow, that did run a little long, I guess. But I was entertained throughout, so I had no complaints about it. Uh, if you could compare it to, in terms of vibe, maybe visual aesthetic to other comedies, uh, what would you compare it to? Oh, gosh. Um is it like a is it like a forty year old virgin knocked up sort of thing? No, or is it no. Like funny, it's is it like funny people? Um, I actually haven't seen funny people. It's I don't know. It's really really funny, but it it gets incredibly dramatic towards for the half of the film. It's a drama with really great comedic moments in it, hmm. and it takes place in New York, right? Uh, Chicago. Okay. Well, still, it's like one of these uh, modern set drama or dramedies, I should say. With a comedic actor, some sitcom background to it. I love that type of thing. So I really can't wait to see The Big Sick. And Amazon struck a really big deal with it. They did, yeah. I think I think they paid $12 million. Yeah, something wow. like that. So that's another one that'll probably come out. See, I'm just making some release guesses here. <laughs> I could see this coming out in maybe late June and being like a summer breakout type of thing. And if it goes towards the end of the year, maybe like an original screenplay nominee. No, the uh, screenplay in Holly Hunter, I could see being its awards play if they oh, push it. Oh, Holly that. Hunter. That'd be fun. Yeah, she's wonderful in it. She has a really fantastic scene in it. Okay. A couple of them, actually. Does it involve a piano? Unfortunately not. <laughs> uh. Uh, all right, so screenplay, Holly Hunter. That's, that's very interesting. We don't normally see... Uh, comedies get into screenplay that often but if it's a weak year i could see it possibly maybe breaking through uh would you say that this is so this isn't like raunchy comedy this is definitely like a mixture so it's something more along the lines of like a like a sideways or something like that yeah it's not raunchy at all gotcha okay it's like perfect romantic comedy with heavy dramatic elements put into it mm-hmm uh, before we get to something like Mudbound, I want to ask you about some of the more smaller uh, titles here. Um, the Screenwriting Award uh, went to a film called Ingrid Goes West, uh, yes. starring Aubrey Plaza and Elizabeth Olsen and uh, O'Shea Jackson Jr. Uh, from Straight Outta Compton. Yeah. Uh, Wyatt Russell also, who I'm seeing more and more in films lately. Uh, so tell me about this one. I, I really don't really know much about it, uh, really. So. Aubrey Plaza plays a gal who beca- who 
obsesses over people over who's obsesses with people over Instagram and she becomes obsessed with a lifestyle guru played by Elizabeth Olsen and she ends up befriending her and kind of stalking her and uh, falling in, and just becoming very obsessed with her lifestyle. Does it ever get dark or is it yes. like more comedy? Yes. Oh. It gets very dark. <laughs> oh wow. Okay. Uh would you say this is uh, the best work you've seen Aubrey Plaza uh do? Yes. She's amazing in the role. She really understands the insecurity of it and the desperation in it, but she also is hilarious in it. A uh, screenwriting award. Uh, is this uh, an award season player at all in any way? I would be so surprised because it is just, it's a very bizarre film. The first couple minutes are Aubrey Plaza liking stuff on Instagram as she sobs. So I don't see a lot of Academy members connecting with that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Um, one person I did hear a lot of buzz for uh, in best actor was Sam Elliott for a film called The Hero. Mm, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I did hear about this from uh, Brett Haley, who did I'll See You in My Dreams. Yeah. I loved I'll See You in My Dreams. Is the buzz founded? Um... I don't see him getting anything major, maybe like a spirit nomination. It's a very, it's very subtle, but it is also a lead role for this actor who's been around forever, who doesn't get them, and he's terrific in it. So this is like um, Bruce Stern in uh, Nebraska sort of thing? Yeah, but it's uh, it feels much smaller than that, though. Mm-hmm. But it is, also an act, it's, it is also about an actor, so people could really respond to that. Wait, so what's it about? Because I've heard that Sam Elliott's good in it, but I really never got a plot description. Um, he play he finds out that he's sick and he's he's a aging Western star and he's trying to like figure out his career and his life and everything. Okay. See when I hear the hero, I thought it was like an action movie at first. And I'm like, why is this guy <laughs> Brett Haley going to do something like that? <laughs> it's his it's a very it's a famous Western character he played. Okay. Right. And I'll just urge all the listeners out there, if you have not seen I'll See You in My Dreams, you really owe it to yourself because Blythe Danner really should have been up for the Oscar last year. She's just terrific. Fully agree. All right. What do we have left here? Uh, Brigsby Bear. Uh, <laughs> Mark Hamill, Yay. Claire Danes, Greg Kinnear, Andy Samberg, Kyle Mooney, Matt Walsh. This is a very impressive cast here. What is what is what is the deal with this one? It's a very bizarre, very sweet comedy that I was not expecting to be as sweet as it was. Okay. What's it about? It's about a kid. It's about a guy, uh, Kyle Mooney, who co-wrote it. Um, He discovers that his favorite child TV show no one else has seen. So he's introducing it to the world while he's also dealing with some changes in his life. And I don't want to spoil it because the first 15 minutes are wonderful. Okay. All right. Interesting. And also, it will have the best opening credits of the year just because of a joke that's in them. Oh. So this is like another Nocturnal Animals sort of thing where it's like, once I see it, I'll never unsee it sort of thing? (laughs) No, it's just this wonderful, bizarre little joke that I loved and knowing and seeing that Sony Classics picked it up made it 400 times better. So. Oh, okay. That sounds very interesting. Uh,. Tell me about this film. I know this is a smaller one. Uh, it was called Band Aid. Yeah. Uh, two words. Uh, Zoe Lister-Jones, uh, director, writer, actor. What? what uh, I, I really don't recognize a lot of the names in this one, uh, but I've heard uh, considerable buzz about it. So what was, what was the deal with this one here? Um, it's Zoe Lister-Jones is really gives a phenomenal, phenomenal 
gut-wrenching performance. It's about a married couple who are in the who have been fighting viciously for months and so they start a band and they write the songs based on their fights. As it's instead of fighting, they start singing them to each other and they start this little band and Adam Pally and Fred Armisen are the other members. This sounds like uh, one of those uh, hipster indie uh, <laughs> films that's going to do very, very well with uh, critics. Does that sound right? Um, I think so. I think so. It gets it gets really raw, surprisingly, which I really liked about it. Mm. Oh, which reminds me, uh, did Raw play at Sundance or no? Raw? Yes, it did. But I did not go see it because it comes out in March. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll be checking that one out soon. I've heard uh, some pretty shocking things about that one myself. Wait, so speaking of uh, indie comedies at Sundance, like the one you just mentioned, mm-hmm. did you get a chance to see Landline, the one uh, from, I'm blanking on her name, the director of Obvious Child? Yeah, 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 Jillian Rossbear or something. Yes. And, and yeah. Jenny Slate's in this one too, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, she is. How's that? Um, I wasn't very big on it. It's set in the 90s for no real reason, it seems, and it kind of plays on nostalgia a little too much and i don't know it just i didn't understand kind of the whole point of it but i know other people who really liked it i heard mixed things on it myself uh i even heard some people say it was one of the worst of the festival actually so it's interesting it was probably in my bottom 10 oh wow Hmm. and then another one before we move on really quickly i don't know if you saw this either and I can't believe I can't pronounce the name because I come from a Jewish background, but it's a <laughs> Yiddish film. Uh, uh, no, I didn't see it, but I heard it was wonderful, and A24 picked it up. Right, uh, Menshi, something like yeah. that? Yeah. I know, I should know this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's stick with films that you did not see, uh, but what was the buzz around Patty Cakes? I heard Danielle McDonald is going to be like the breakout star of the year, essentially. That's what I heard. I heard it was massive, massive crowd pleaser. But I also heard from a couple of people that really, really, really disliked it. Um, but I do think Fox Searchlight, Fox Searchlight picked it up for a ton. So I think it could be one of those lovely little Sundance breakouts that happen every couple of years from sure. Fox Searchlight, especially. Maybe it'll have like an original song that competes. I mean, if they gave it to uh, It's Hard Out Here for a Pimp, maybe there's <laughs> some from Patty Cakes. We're getting down to the last couple of films here. Uh, This one I'm actually very curious about because it stars uh, one of my breakout performers of last year, and that's Anya Taylor-Joy. And um, the last screen credit for um, Anton Yelkin, uh, also with Olivia Cooke. It's called Thoroughbred. Uh, What can you tell me about this one? It's very, very dark and weird and wonderful. And uh, Anya Taylor-Joy and Olivia Cooke are phenomenal in it this seems to be like Anya Taylor-Joy's uh kick uh dark horror like <laughs> you know you know what I mean like she just seems yeah, to be absolutely. drawn to these types of films I love it <laughs> she's becoming the scream queen of our generation essentially good for her um it's not it's it's not really a horror film though it, it's but it's a very bizarre offbeat f- dark film <laughs> mm-hmm. okay and uh Anton Yelkin uh just fine Terrific. He's terrific. He only has a couple of scenes, though, but what he does, I loved. Yeah, uh, I was very, very uh, upset to lose him last year. He was a tremendous talent and definitely would have uh, given us uh, something truly great, I'm sure, as his career went on. Uh, I'm going to butcher this name again. Uh, Novichia? Novitiate. Novitiate. Wow. Yes. I'm sure audiences are going to have a tough time with that one. <laughs> It'll be this year's Quivengine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
All right. So in regards to this one here, I mean, Melissa Leo, um, she supposedly is the award season player for this one. Yes, and if in ideal world, Margaret Margaret Qualley would also be in a play in play for best actress. Yes, that's interesting. Uh, the film itself, um, slow period drama, or does it have a little bit of energy to it? Like, how, how would you characterize it? I wouldn't say it's slow, but it's very very steady. It takes its time, um, but you but when, when it gets to those emotional when it gets to its emotional high points you really really feel it mm-hmm. i wouldn't call it a slow burn or anything like that okay all right that's fair uh we're getting now down to the to the three uh big ones at least uh based upon uh momentum perception and so on and so forth um so i'll start with the lowest one here um because i heard reactions to it were, were, were good but not enthusiastic and that's wind river directed and written by taylor sheridan who as I said, and when it comes to momentum, is really on a roll after these last two years with Sicario and Hell or High Water. And he's got Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen in this. This is his directorial uh, debut, though. So, I mean, how does it fare? Is it a solid film? Is it um, maybe not as good as the other two films he's written, but still good? Like, what's the deal with this one? Um, I really liked it, and it's incredibly well made. But it is there was a someone in line next to me a few days later, and she's like, when someone said that this is the guy who wrote Sicario and Heller High Water, she's like, oh, I knew what the rest of the film would be, mm. just because of his his own um, his own aesthetic and kind of his own his own rhythm and attitude. But I I liked it. It's a really strong thriller. I don't see it being a rewards play though. Okay, not even for uh, Jeremy Renner. I've been like dying to have something th- that would bring him back to the dance at some point. No, he's absolutely terrific, though, and it just shows that how good he can be when he has the material. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, I, I really, 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 really wanted him to, uh, you know, like I said, find that good material, kind of get out of this whole Avengers thing that he's in. And being stuck with lines like, let's make a baby. Oh, God, why did you have to go there again? Oh, man. Oh. All right, all right. Mudbound. D. Reese, Carrie Mulligan, Garrett Hedlund, Jason Clark, Jason Mitchell, and Mary J. Blige. I have heard amazing things about this. Tell me about it, Eric. It is about two families in World War II in the South, and they live on the same farm. And it's terrific. It sounds like this is one of those films where it's like it almost sounds like it's too big in scope for something like Sundance. Um, I mean, I would imagine it's one of those movies where they had a small budget, but they made it look like a bigger budget film. Is that like correct here? Um, yes and no. It still feels incredibly intimate, but it is also it is does feel like one a big American epic. Mm. Mm. But it is it, they do keep its focus small, which is appropriate because it wor- it completely works for it. Is this one definitely going to factor in? You think into next year's uh, season um, as far as major categories is concerned, picture, director, things like that. Um, it I think it should, but also the first forty five minutes of the film were kind of clunky. But once it got going, it really got going. And, but I really, really, really liked it. Mary J. Blige is wonderful. I had no idea it was her, honestly. And why is that? Prosthetics, weight gain, weight loss? I, I'm not. I'm not sure. 
it's she just I honestly was like, who is this wonderful theater actress who I've never seen in my life? Who is this this woman? It was just such a transformative performance. I just I haven't seen much. I don't know much about her to to have really been like, oh, of course, that's Mary J. Blige. But I also was just so stunned because it's just such a beautiful, small performance. Mm. Is it like something along the lines of like a Lupita Nyong'o, like breakout kind of performance sort of thing where it's going to make her into a star? It should. I think so. It could possibly do that. Okay. So she was the Melissa McCarthy as Sean Spicer of Mudbound. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and... The last film here uh, that I want to touch upon is one that got a considerable amount of buzz that I heard was uh, maybe the artistic achievement of the festival, and that is David Lowry's uh, follow-up to Pete's Dragon, of all films, uh, <laughs> where he reteams up with Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara. This one's called A Ghost Story. I've heard so many like descriptions about this film. I've heard people say that it is transcendent transformative it like is unlike anything they've ever seen before and david lowry is like on a roll lately i just please 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 tell me more (laughs) um all of that is true and more it's a beautiful beautiful strange film that's going to be impossible to describe (laughs) now is this um one of those things where I, I can't imagine, like, could, could this be, like, one of those things where it's, like, lone director nomination, like a David Lynch from a Holland Drive sort of situation sort of thing? I don't think so. It's so small, and it's such a weird film. Um, but I think with his film that he's working on right now, I think it will make a great case for him at the end of the year if that comes out this year. Mm-hmm. Which which film is that? I haven't even heard about this. Uh, the Old Man and the Gun. It's supposed to be Robert Redford's last film. Oh, wow. And they start shooting it in just a few weeks, actually. So, And he works pretty fast. So if that comes out this year, I think this could make a good case for give him a nomination because he had these two films this year. Is it true that Rooney Mara eats pie for five minutes? Yes, and it's incredible. <laughs> Why is it incredible? It doesn't sound incredible. <laughs> it just is. Um, <laughs> she literally stress eats a pie for five minutes. It's just – it's. I don't know how to describe it, but it was just – not what I was expecting at all in that film, mm-hmm. but it, it it's beautiful. <laughs> now, is the pie made from the same peach from Call Me By Your Name? <laughs> <laughs> and this is like the pie that everyone's eating throughout Sundance, essentially. <laughs> oh. no, I don't think they want to eat that pie. <laughs> uh, man. Um, so, so a ghost story, really no Oscar potential, but probably definitely a critic, critical favorite, you would say? Or do you think it's going to be divisive? I think it will be very divisive. It's not going to be for everybody, but the people who respond to it are just going to love it, as they should. I love how David Lowry now has the system of go from Sundance to Disney, Sundance to Disney, because his follow-up <laughs> to this is going to be Peter Pan. Uh, after he does the Robert Redford film, you mean? Uh, yes, I've, I forgot about that one. The Robert Redford is going to be on Netflix, right? Or am, am I making that up? No, you know what? It was the Robert Redford and Jane Fonda movie that's going to be on Netflix. There we go. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and what's the deal with this other Robert Redford movie uh, that will be on Netflix, The Discovery? I really liked it. I saw it twice. Get out of here. Yeah. Oh, I, and I heard it was just like, okay, from some people. I was I was invited to see it the second time by somebody involved with the film. So that's kind of, well, kind of why I went and saw it again. But I was really happy I got to because I'm like, I'll never see this on the big screen again. But I loved it. And Redford has a 
killer, killer, killer scene with uh, Riley Keough that I loved. Oh, good. So, I mean, if he's going to retire, I mean, he'll always have a place in the industry in some way, of course. But if he will be leaving acting, what a way to go out with these titles that keep popping up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll just about do it there for our uh, Sundance coverage. Unless if Eric, if, if there's something that we didn't touch upon that you definitely want to give a shout out to at all. Um, it won't be an awards player, but there's a film called God's Own Country that's not picked up yet. And if it ever does get picked up, go see it. It's beautiful. Mm hmm. And that's that's what I recommend. The uh, oh, you know what? It skipped my mind, but that's because it didn't premiere at Sundance. It premiered elsewhere. Um, Colossal with Anne Hathaway. Oh yeah, loved it. Okay, is that like the Swiss Army Man of this year, essentially? Um, not as weird, actually. Actually, it might be as weird, but it's I don't. It gets really dark. Actually, it's a really good movie. Gotcha. So it's gonna erase uh, any uh, hate that uh, Anne Hathaway built up during her award season campaign for Les Misérables. You think? Um, it should. It's. I've never seen her do anything like this before. It's just such a small, strange film, and she's wonderful in it. And Jason Sudeikis also. This should be a really. This should do something for him. Hopefully, as far as like perception goes, and what kind of roles he can play. Yeah, it, he is really, really excellent in it. He plays the charming person that he has before, but then he gets some really dark stuff towards the end, and it's really incredible. Ah, so excited. Cool. (laughs) All righty then. Eric, tell everybody where they can find you on the internet. Um, I am on Twitter, uh, G-R-E-Y-603. That's really my social media imprint right now. Well, we really, really appreciate having you on to talk about the Oscar race, talking about Sundance and its potential impact on next year's Oscar race. It was a pleasure to have you on this morning. Thanks for having me. And Michael Schwartz, where can they find you on the internet? Mike movie. Uh, I'll be posting as we get down to these final weeks here. And thanks again to Eric for having or for coming on today. I enjoyed hearing your Sundance review. My pleasure. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, part of nextbestpicture.com. You can subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, or Player FM. And also be sure to leave us a review on iTunes, which is always greatly appreciated by the team here. We would love to hear your feedback. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you all next time. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death of a Film Star. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs.